Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive Podcast. It's me, Chris Howard, back again with another one of our fantastic podcasts. That's slightly arrogant, because I'm on them all the time, and I'm talking about our own podcast being fantastic. But I think they're good, and the reason why I think they're good is not because of me, it's because of the fabulous guests that we have on. And so I'm going to introduce today's two guests, although they're not really guests, because they're just members of the Lace team. So actually, what they are is just friends, and I'm introducing some lace friends mr chris horton first and foremost how are you doing hi mr howard good thank you and of course our resident expert on all things productivity and redefining workforce productivity which we're going to talk about today it's uh, mr tim ringo how are you doing just fine thanks very much chris for having me on again Yep, it's great to have you on. It's great to have you on. So I kind of hinted at it, but I'll go into a little bit more detail uh, for our lovely listeners. We have recently launched a new campaign called Redefining Workforce Productivity. And the campaign itself is quite interesting because in the campaign, we basically have a campaign page that's on our website, which, which states that productivity is quite a dated term. And so it's quite ironic that we're calling our campaign after productivity. But we will explain. I'm going to get Tim to explain why uh, in a minute. But if you like to find out more about the campaign we're going to do a whole host of different things you might have also have heard the podcast that we had with tracy brower where she talked about the link between happiness and engagement and increased productivity within businesses you can check that on out through our podcast back catalog and we've got other great things like uh, we're doing some stuff around blogs we've got other video content that we're looking at and uh, we'll do more podcasts on this but we also ran an event at the time of recording the event was last night and so what i wanted to do is take some reflections on that event the event itself was called solving the productivity puzzle and it was based on a book written by tim we have already in the back catalog done a little bit of an overview of that so what i will do is we'll put a link to that uh, podcast that i did with tim or oh, it must have been over a year ago now where we talked about the productivity puzzle and tim gave me some some thoughts around that we'll put a link in there but tim just to kick us off it might be worth just maybe in a, a minute or two giving us just a bit of an overview as to the book itself just for those who haven't listened and then let's talk about some of the conversations that we had last night so just to kick us off if you can just start with the book give us a sort of a, a one two minute elevator pitch as they say Sure. So Solving the Productivity Puzzle book comes from a paper that I saw that the OECD wrote in 2017-2018, which essentially predicted that GDP out to about 2060 is going to increasingly have downward pressure on it, which is never good because we need GDP to be going up over time to keep our standards of living. And essentially, they said that the issue was around people, that people productivity is has been dropping off for the past 10 years or stagnating, depending on what region you're in. And they gave three very simple reasons, which is one, organizations are not aligning people to their technology and investing in that. Two, they're not changing their processes to, to take advantage of digital technology. And lastly, they're not changing their organization structures to, to take advantage of the technology. So essentially, it's quite a doom and gloom scene that they're setting out when in reality, and a lot of us know that organizations are working on all three of those things. Now, is that happening consistently around the world? No, but 
organizations do recognize these problems in a world. So I thought it was overly pessimistic. And I've kind of wrote the counterpoint to that, which is said, look, this is an eminently solvable problem. Organizations that solve it do a couple of things really well. First of all, they get the right people with the right skills in the right place at the right time with, most importantly, the right motivation. So they have a mindset, a set of processes, technology that helps them get those people in the right place to succeed. And of course, that's an engaging workplace. The other thing they do really well is they create a workplace experience that reduces friction, right? So it gets rid of unnecessary processes. It gets rid of uh, unnecessary sort of compliance. It gets rid of anything that's going to slow people down. But most importantly, it's it's about using technology that makes people better, right? So organizations that improve their productivity are, are very good at putting people in the position to harness technology to make them better at their jobs. And so that's what we talked about last night. And I think, you know, quick summary, a couple of points from now, I think overall people really like that framework of right people, right skills, right place, right time, right motivation. They thought it was really simple and clear and agreed with it. But we all agree that, that putting that in place is a rather tricky thing. One, that, you know, would the leadership buy into it and invest in it? And two, can you change the culture of the organization to think this way? And I think that's absolutely right. It is not an easy thing to do. But in the book, I write a lot of case studies of companies that have, have done it. I think the second thing they also uh, agreed was that, yeah, workplace experience is not where it should be. That's also part of the problem. And that the technology we use is not very good at allowing humans to harness it. It's more about the software engineer. And I think lastly, we talked a lot about artificial intelligence and the emergence of that, how that's going to potentially turbocharge people's productivity. And I would say those were kind of the main three themes that I saw in the discussion, which were fascinating. So I'll stop there. So I found the discussion really interesting. And, and I think your level of optimism about the solving the productivity puzzle absolutely came across. And I think people could buy into that and see the reasons why. I thought the discussion was very interesting around what productivity means to different individuals and different companies. And, and I'm interested in, Tim and Chris, your views on what, what are the important things that, that really, as we discuss the term productivity, we're not meaning the old fashioned um, inputs in equals outputs, you know. So what are your views on, on what, what does productivity mean in 2023? And should that mean something different for you know, lots of different companies? Yeah, I mean, that is actually the core of the book. When I went to, you know, start to write it, I realized that part of the problem is the definition of productivity. It's very 19th century. And it's about when people worked on farms and worked in factories, which most people did. But today, only, you know, 20% of people work in, in factories or farms. And so it just doesn't fit because it's, it's all about inputs and outputs and, and things that are quite sort of one dimensional. And so, yeah, we talked about the kind of new definition that I came up with, which, which really is about getting stuff done that not only helps the organization, but it helps the individual and society at large, right? So you create basically a three-dimensional view of, of productivity. One, value. Absolutely, you have, we have to keep score. But two, there's a second element, which is we create workplaces where people flourish. And guess what? They perform higher. And guess what? The other thing that happens is when you create that kind of place where people are put in positions to succeed, they actually have headspace to innovate. And so they think up new products, services, and new ways of doing things. And, you know, Apple has been a really good example of that. The world's first trillion dollar company who manufactures nothing. All they do is create ideas and, and design products that are innovative. And, you know, that's essentially how they work. And so if you think about it, the value of that company is $2.4 trillion because they're very good at creating an engaging place to work. And oh, by the way, that creates innovation, which then drives value. And it's those three things together in a kind of 
almost virtuous cycle that I think is a better way to describe productivity today. I thought it was really interesting when we asked people, what is a better word yeah. than productivity? And I really love the suggestion that was made, which is contribution. And I thought, yeah, that's really interesting because what you're starting to talk about is outcomes, not widgets, right? So I thought that was potentially a word that's better than say productivity or performance. Well, can I get you both to reflect on that a little bit more, that that idea of it being focused on contribution? And that was a discussion, wasn't it, Chris, about, you know, it's not just about the outcomes. It should be broader. You know, if you focus on the outcomes, you're missing on the contribution of what people are doing. So just some thoughts there from that perspective, Chris. I think it ties in well with, you know, a number of things that Tim mentioned last night and he's talked about again today. I think it's to me, it's about purpose and, and people understanding the purpose of the company, understanding their purpose within the company and, and why they want to do things. I think it's definitely about understanding that it's important, you know, to achieve, to get things done, to achieve outcomes, that actually your contribution is part of that and it is actually, you know, rewarded and seen and actually gives you a sense of, of value as well. So I think there's a I think there's a lot of different factors at play. I think it's some of it's about purpose. I think some of it at an individual level is your own purpose, but then also seeing that through contribution you're driving value to the organization and to yourself. And Tim, anything to build onto that? Yeah, I think Chris summarized it really well. And I think when it's benefiting you, it's benefiting the organization. It more broadly benefits society because whether you're in public sector and you're, you're doing things that make better use of tax money or you're in the private sector where you're driving shareholder wealth, those are all things that are exactly what we want. And that, that takes it to another level. That's about society, right? And that's what we need, I think, really to increase GDP over time rather than see it go down. And no surprise with all of the press around chat GBT and AI, yet again, AI has, has reared its head and, and formed, you know, a part of the different discussions. It was an interesting discussion again last night and lots of different questions, lots of different avenues that we explored. I'm interested to look at how much you think AI will impact productivity or contribution or whatever the word we, we're going to focus on to, today. I think we're on the cusp of, and we wrote a blog about this, didn't we, Chris? We're on the cusp of, I think, historic people contribution, right? Because whenever humans have harnessed new powerful technologies, we've always been able to go farther and faster, right, as humans. And I think we're about to do that again with a very powerful tool, which essentially becomes our AI assistant our digital assistant that's going to help us be better at our jobs, but also help us be more effective and efficient as well. And, and it will increase our contribution. So I use the word in the book and also I used it last night. I think we're on the verge of turbocharging people's capabilities and their abilities and ultimately their contribution. So. Yeah, it's really interesting. Some of the discussion and debate when we started talking about it was, you know, people being able to almost automate using AI to automate those tasks. I mean, I made a, a joke and we've we've recently written a blog by the time this podcast gets released, it would already be out. It's coming out tomorrow as as we're talking all around like, you know, what's all the fuss about with AI in terms of HR? One of the things, almost a bit of a joke that we made from the actual blog itself is that tiny little pockets of that blog was written by ChatGPT. So it, for me personally, it enabled me to be more productive because it gave me the skeleton of how to structure out this particular blog in talking about how it could benefit HR. However, one of the, and this is where it gets really important, one of the drawbacks was that some of the content, uh, once I'd read just what ChatGPT had said, I thought there isn't as much context in here. I called it the so what. 
I almost read it and I was like, if I'm reading this as a human, I'm thinking, thanks for the factual information, but so what? Where's the opinion? Where's the analysis side of it? And so that was a really, really fascinating debate I thought we had as well. I mean, is there anything else just from the, the chat GPT or the AI side, Chris or, or Tim, that you guys want to flag from the conversations that we had last night? So, so I, I, I think, and we're not going to cover it today, I think there's a legal and there's an ethical discussion that needs to happen in all things. And, you know, I think there's further blogs, further podcasts, further things that, that we can do. We won't do it the service that it's due in the time that we've got today. But definitely legal and ethical, I think, is another area for people to grasp and, and get their head around. And from your perspective, Tim? Yeah, well, we had we had kind of a, a bit of fun and, and a laugh around well, let's say you write a blog, you know, using ChatGPT. Well, who should get the credit for it, right? Yeah. Uh, does the machine get any credit? And I, I don't think the machine does get the credit because it's the human giving the instructions in the end. And, you know, that's what really makes it. And then, as you said, the human also puts context around it. So it's still, you know, a person creating something. You know, a lot of people are starting to use ChatGPT to write music and, and lyrics and those sorts of things where you're giving it the instructions and then you're putting the context around it. So it's just augmenting the human. It's not, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily share credit on the intellectual property, but there might be some legal, you know, situation that comes along that says maybe the owners of ChatGPT should get some royalties, right, for a song or something that, <laughs> that you write with ChatGPT, right? I mean, yeah, exactly, exactly. And there's a few other bits that we talked about, like CVs being written via ChatGPT. And, you know, some people might say, well, hold on, so there's an ethical side of that. But actually, there's the other side of the conversation where we were talking about, well, hold on, what about people that perhaps aren't as naturally gifted at writing, but they are very articulate themselves in terms of spoken. And so they can articulate themselves a certain way, but they're not as good with another. And one of the members obviously said, well, I'm dyslexic. So that obviously puts me back some way. But if you've got these sort of tools, it can help the productivity of that person as well. I want to talk about right at the beginning in the evening, we talked about the inequality of the four day week. And I thought you gave a really good example, Tim, uh, Henry, your Henry Ford example. So can you just um, put some context for our listeners as to the, the conversation that we had around that yeah so the question came out or, or the point came out which i thought was really interesting which said well hang on a minute yeah certainly the you know those of us who work in offices and and do sort of middle class white collar jobs we can do four day weeks right but you know what about people in manufacturing setting and the point i made is actually that the the idea of a short shorter work week was actually invented in the factories. It was invented by Henry Ford, one of the worst bosses in history, but but somebody who realized that his workers were dying in the factory every day because they were working six day weeks and they would fall on the machines and you know get squished or whatever. And you know, I don't I'm not sure he cared so much about the humans, but he cared about the cost of replacing those humans. And so what he decided to do was was go to three day weeks and start up more shifts. So hire more people but have them work three-day weeks, he also increased their pay as well so that they weren't trying to overdo on the production line and end up hurting themselves. So, yeah, it's, it was actually invented for the manufacturing sector. So I think the point was is that this, this concept of a different number of day week, flexible working as it's known, can apply to most jobs. And so I think that kind of was an interesting debate that it isn't just a middle-class thing that middle-class people can take advantage of. It, it should be something that everybody can have that opportunity for flexibility. 
yeah and i guess chris just any sort of thoughts from your perspective on that around that that kind of four day week how it can you know in the right circumstances it can impact and positively impact productivity and it's not just about well this sector it's not appropriate for and this sector it is i think we all know from our our different and varied careers there's been times where we've you know, had to work, I guess what I would call ridiculous hours now. At the time, I didn't think it was ridiculous, but, you know, often working parts of weekends or whole weekends as well as, you know, into evenings, etc. I truly think our performance, our contribution, our productivity drops exponentially. And I think there's, you know, lots of different studies that show that as well. So I think for each of us, there is an optimum point of work where we're you know, we're coming up with good ideas, we're working hard, we're focused, we're doing all of the things that we need to do. So, you know, I think I think there's a super both ethical and practical and measurable outcome here, which is actually at some point around the four day mark is is, is better for all of us, both from uh, what we deliver, our mental health and all of the different factors. So I think it's a big point. Yeah, and we've written a, a piece on the four-day working week, kind of looking at it. That was right at the beginning of this year. So if you want to check that out, you can obviously get that through the, the Lace Partners Insights section. If you just search for four-day week, you'll see some thoughts on that. Gents, is there anything else just from, because we're keeping it to a slightly shorter one today than normal, but is there anything else from your perspective that came out of last night that you thought was interesting? One of the things that I'll start off, it's whether or not it's particularly linked to productivity, I don't know, but Aaron was talking about the metaverse and are people using it and what's the potential of it i thought that was an interesting discussion there's also been a, a survey out from donald taylor it's the global sentiment survey which we've got a podcast on because we've interviewed donald on the uh, the results of that as well and that rears its head for the first time this year the metaverse that people are talking about so perhaps that's something that might be of interest but chris actually i'll start with you tim anything from your perspective just on the evening and uh, any reflections any final reflections before we wrap up to Today. I was just struck by how the, the subject just really fired people up, a lot of passion, a lot of positivity around it. People, I think everyone agreed that this is eminently solvable. And yeah, it was just really a, a great conversation, really easily done because everybody had opinions or thoughts on it. And thank goodness, because it's something that, you know, that we have to get right, you know, in order to keep our, our standards of living continuing to go up. It's as simple as that. It's completely based on human activity and contribution. And when that goes down, then we have a problem. And so it was good to see that energy and, and positivity and people basically saying, yeah, no, the OECD are too pessimistic. We can, we can solve this. Nice. Chris? I think my biggest take from the evening was we've heard so many bad headlines or, or you know, reflections of, of economic problems that are happening or cost of living crisis, et cetera. I thought it was a, a good conversation about positivity, about hope, and actually as human beings, we can make a difference in the companies we work in, you know, and really focus on the good different things that, that Tim has articulated really well. To, make a difference for ourselves, for our companies and for society in a, in a broader way. So I think it's a, I, I left smiling and feeling hopeful. So that that's, a, you know, that's always a good thing. Lovely, lovely stuff, lovely stuff. So listen, gents, thank you very much for your time today. I thought it was it was a really, really interesting debate that we had. Of course, if you're listening to this, we run a number of different forums. We've got a payroll forum for senior payroll professionals. We've got one in shared services, HR shared services. We have, we also do thematic based meetings. Um, they tend to 
form kind of networking dinners, small sort of groups where you can have intimate sort of conversations of proper conversations with a collective of peers rather than larger scale conferences. So if you are interested in getting involved in some of our, our forums, all you need to do is either pop myself an email or Chris an email or even Tim an email. My email address is chris at lacepartners.co.uk. So you can pop me an email address. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks once again to Mr. Horton for joining me. A pleasure as always, Chris. Thank you. Uh, and uh, same for Mr. Ringo. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Yep, my pleasure. Oh, the uh, food was great last night, by the way. Well, well yeah, oh, there's, there's that side of it as well. That's, there's that side of it as well. Of course, you can get this podcast wherever you get podcasts, as I always say. You can download it, listen to it while you do your running. I heard a couple of people say that. I'm a runner when I do my podcast as well, although I never listen to myself because it always sounds a bit weird when it's, your voice is coming out of somebody else's machine. But thank you very much for joining us. Hope you've enjoyed this quick check-in on our campaign around redefining workforce productivity. We'd love to see you again sometime. Thank you very much to Tim, to Chris, from me. We will see you next time on the HR on the Effective Podcast. Bye-bye.